In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap! The job's a game! Now then, what'd be nice? We'll start with raspberry ice and then some cakes and tea. It's that Poppins woman. She did it. I know the very person you mean. We were developing many of the chapters that we were exploring to see which other chapters you might use. The songs that were selected were really the, the very cream of all the things we were doing. And uh, they really were story. Each song had a story. Uh, part of the story was being told through the song. The biggest one you ever heard, and this is how it goes. Oh. Radio. Your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 345 for the week of December 15th, 2013. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, my Walt Disney World trivia books, CDs, and more. You can find everything over at WDWRadio.com. This week's show is brought to you by Audible.com. It is a very busy time of year for everybody. We don't always have time to sit down and read a book. Well, now you can listen to your favorite book for free because you can get a free audiobook download by visiting audibletrial.com slash WDWradio. There are more than 100,000 titles to choose from, lots of Disney books. All you need to do is sign up, get your free download. You can cancel anytime. Again, visit audibletrial.com slash WDWradio. Download your favorite book to your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any MP3 player. Again, sign up for free at audibletrial.com slash WDWradio. So Disney fans, like myself, have anxiously been awaiting the release of the new film, Saving Mr. Banks, which tells the extraordinary, untold backstory about how Disney's classic Mary Poppins made it to the screen thanks to the 20-year-plus quest by Walt Disney. So this week, we're going to pay homage to the film by looking at Mary Poppins not on the screen, but in the parks, as we seek out Mary Poppins in Walt Disney World. From tributes to exhibits to hidden references and details, we'll explore and celebrate the film and its presence in the parks and the resorts. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a very cool Disney prize package. Then stay tuned for some updates, announcements, and more of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Mary Poppins was the perfect cast, the perfect creative team. I mean, uh, my, my praise goes out to so many people involved in that film, from Bill Walsh and Don DeGrotti, who did this incredible script, and Walt himself, who was hands-on the whole time, pushing everybody and pushing and, and create, creating the, the final product. I mean, there were so many people that contributed. And I haven't even mentioned this superlative cast with Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke and Glynis Johns and David Tomlinson, all these wonderful people that, that, that were part of our cast. It was a, a labor of great love and great talent on many, many uh, 
part. And Bob and I were lucky enough to be the, the songwriters. We really loved working on it and helping with the story, because that's what we did. As Mary Poppins prepares to celebrate its 50th anniversary, Disney fans, film buffs, and Walt Disney enthusiasts are eagerly awaiting the release of the highly anticipated film, Saving Mr. Banks. And while a lot of us understand that it was Mr. Banks that needed saving and not the children, not everybody knows the full story of just how Walt Disney convinced P.L. Travers to make a film out of her stories. So as we celebrate all things Mary Poppins, I got to thinking about not saving her, but finding her. So this week, we're going to step into the sidewalk chalk and virtually explore the Walt Disney World Resort and find Poppins in the Parks. And joining me on my journey today is a man who knows that in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun, and he who likes his slippers, sherries, and pipe promptly at 6.02. He is, of course, author, historian, and all-around nice guy, and most importantly, my friend, Mr. Jim Corcus. Thank you, Lou, and I am an expert because I'm popping out of my uh, <laughs> shirt here after Thanksgiving and with Christmas just right around the corner with, with all those goodies that are just available during the holidays, you know, and so it's like... Well, I better have that eggnog because if I want it, you know, in August, there's no eggnog to be had. So I, I think this is uh, great to go about uh, uh, finding uh, poppins in the, in the parks because uh, I think people are going to be very surprised at uh, how many poppins references there really are. Well, I think when you think of Mary Poppins in the parks, you probably picture her in her sort of white Victorian era dress and her hat, you know, on in, in uh, Magic Kingdom or, or uh, possibly over in Epcot. Um, but you're right. I think there's a lot of other places and, and references to her and the film that we'll find. But, you know, and, and it's, again, it's timely, too. Saving Mr. Banks is coming out. The DVD releases, uh, you know, out of the vault uh, on December 10th. And, you know, we can't sort of understate the film and just how important it really was. I think it probably, you know, many consider it was, it was Walt Disney's greatest film achievement, um, groundbreaking in terms of, of, of film history. And I think what I'm a lot of us are excited about is, is understanding the story of just how important and why it was important for him to make this film and what it took for him to get it made. Uh, absolutely. And, and in fact, uh, Mary Poppins, even at the time, took everybody by surprise. You know, uh, even the uh, traditional film community in Hollywood were, were thinking, well, well, this is the guy who produces uh, a Shaggy Dog, an absent-minded <laughs> professor, and, and, and all of this. And in fact... Uh, uh, Walt had pr produced a, a, a musical, Babes in Toyland, which was pretty much a dud. If, it, if, if you take a if you take a look at it, it, it almost looks like it was uh, filmed on a, a stage, you know. And uh, uh, the characters don't flow well together, and and the songs really don't uh, uh, stick out. And then it's like, so where the heck did this come out from? From left field, that uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, one of the most nominated uh, uh, Disney films of all time, one, one of the most awarded Disney films of, uh, uh, of all time, and uh, by golly, it, it's just, it's just, it just even uh, uh, talking about it is wonderful. And, and here we are at uh, uh, Disney Hollywood Studios today, and uh, in the background, of course, we're hearing that holiday music, which which I love. There's a radio station here in Orlando that uh, runs uh, holiday music 24/7. So during the, these few weeks, I always have that uh, on my car radio. But um, 
I'd certainly like to hear some uh, uh, Poppins music in the background because uh, here at the studios we have the American Film Institute uh, uh, little museum uh, over there and uh, that you know they have a running list there and of the 100 greatest musicals Mary Poppins is number six of the 100 greatest songs in, in movies Number 36 is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. So um, on that, you want to start here at, at uh, the studios and, and look for Poppins? Sure. Let's, let's start where we are, and then we'll make our way to, uh, to the other parks and talk about you know, what is and what was and maybe almost what could have been uh, in some of the other parks as well, too. I, I think when you think of Disney's Hollywood Studios, and Mary Poppins, the first thing that is going to come to mind is Great Movie Ride. And I think for a lot of people, obviously, it is the audio-animatronic scene, which is that final in the musical genre, that, that Chim Chim Cherie, uh, the only Disney film, by the way, that, that is an audio-animatronic form in there. And I think they picked, uh, obviously, a good one. But there's actually a lot more in and in front of Great Movie Ride. That are, and, of course, we lost some things in there as well, too. Right. Well, uh, you know, you and I were just uh, uh, standing out in, uh, in front, and the, uh, uh, the showcase right to the right of um, uh, the Great Movie Ride uh, in there, and it, it's been there I, since the, the attraction opened, is they have these beautiful enlarged uh, black-and-white photos of uh, the premiere. So you, you can see Walt, you can see Julie Andrews, you can see uh, Dick Van Dyke. You see Dick Van Dyke with his uh, uh, carousel horse, which has that very distinctive chin because sculptor Blaine Gibson uh, purposely carved the horses to resemble the people who were going to be riding them. Uh, there might be a few confusing things for, for some folks. Over on the, the left-hand side, there's Julie uh, Andrews uh, uh, posing with some chimney sweeps, but but also these these two guys uh, uh, who are uh, follically challenged on their head, uh, as as I am uh, getting close to being, and uh, those are actually two top executives from uh, Technicolor because right next to. Grauman's Chinese Theater, they set up these white tents to create uh, an English garden. And so they had chimney sweeps, they had uh, uh, the penguin costume characters uh, uh, walking around, they had uh, Pearlies uh, uh, playing uh, the music. So that's why she's posing with uh, those two gentlemen there. You'll also see Walt with, uh, uh, with Lillian, and they've got big smiles on their faces. But something that always took me aback was they actually have real artifacts from that premiere. You, you saw those, right? I did, and I always thought that they were reproductions. Like a lot of things, you know, there, there's tickets in there, and there's the police pass, and, and obviously I, I felt that a lot of those were reproductions, not something that came from that Thursday night premiere. Well, and uh, again, in, in some ways it was uh, cheaper, I guess, to bring out the real stuff than to, than to uh, reproduce it. There's also... Uh, uh, two woven banners there uh, as well. And, and I think uh, probably one of the reasons those were brought out in, in 89 was uh, when Disney MGM Studios opened, the, the fact was is they wanted to showcase uh, actual uh, props, actual things from the movies and, and really create that, that uh, film atmosphere, an atmosphere that I feel is, 
is is slowly disappearing at the park and will continue to do so with with plans for a Star Wars land or a Pixar place. And so I will be sad to to see that go, but I I revel in the the time that we uh, have with it. So I wonder how many people have actually taken... uh, um, some photos of that and and I know I harp on that and I don't harp on that to be holier than thou it's I'm trying to remind myself I came three hours earlier today just to walk around the park to to try and see some things and things are gone things things have disappeared and, well, and how many people don't we look we were standing there for a little while talking nobody walks over to those windows and again these for people who mm-hmm. don't know they're out front of the theater right right behind the swords are out on opposite side of the of the courtyard of the handprints on opposite side one is a, a windows are dedicated to jungle book on the right hand side is mary poppins nobody jim stops and looks and i think there's probably very few even less people certainly that stop and take pictures and sort of appreciate you know that sort of bit of of movie history and disney history well and and we've certainly found that with the uh uh, handprints. Uh, another Mary Poppins connection is out in the forecourt as you have uh, uh, Dick Van Dyke's handprints. And right above his is the slab for Mary Tyler Moore. But there is no Julie Andrews slab there, unfortunately. And I, I would have thought that that would have been a, a, a no-brainer, but that's not there. And uh, again, I, I we discovered uh, that it's a little difficult to try and uh, figure out, you know, who, who's there in that courtyard? But again, people constantly walking over it, whereas out in uh, Los Angeles, I'm used to people at Grauman's Chinese Theater trying to put their feet in other people's feet or their hands in, you know, oh, what tiny feet they they have there, you know. It's funny watching you put your nose in the Alan Alden nose print. So. <laughs> I, I know. You, and, and again, you know, there's so many uh, uh, oddball things there. Um, Robin Williams, when he put in his uh, handprint, actually put in three hands. And uh, John uh, John Ritter's is he put in his fi- uh, footprints, but he uh, put it with the shoes going opposite direction. So so one is going the right way, and the other one's going the uh, the opposite way, and it's right between the hands. Or or Steve Martin put in his handprints, and then he writes the word feet and draws a little <laughs> arrow to the, the handprints. So, so again, wonderful little things uh, to appreciate because you never know when those are going to be gone. Because I, I took another ride on the great movie ride today, and I, I went into the, the lobby, and, and something that I'm so used to seeing, gone. Which, we look, we understand... In the queue, you know, it is a series of rotating exhibits, which I like, right? So some one time you had the, you know, the uh, the, the Star Wars chessboard with R2-D2 and Chewbacca. The Ruby Slippers are in there. And now I think you said they have uh, Roger Rabbit, which I'm, I'm thrilled that Roger Rabbit is there. But you would think now with Mr. Banks and the 50th anniversary of Mr. Poppins, you're used to seeing that, that beautiful, you know, hand-carved, that purple horse. Right, Mary Poppins' horse. It, it was always there, and I figured... Well, this is owned by Disney, so this will always be here. I, I knew that the Ruby Slippers were on, on loan. I knew that uh, at one time the Casablanca piano uh, was in there. And, uh, you know, but my gosh, this is, this is Disney stuff. But, but again, there may be a reason for that, because I also went searching through uh, One Man's Dream. And when that attraction opened, 
they had Mary Poppins dress. And in fact, if you look in the attraction today, they have a, a poster for Mary Poppins, and right underneath it is a poster for 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And so in the, in the left showcase, you actually have a diving suit from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Very cool. And so in the other showcase, you have the suit that Fred McMurray wore in Bon Voyage. But it used to be the Mary Poppins dress. But uh, uh, Dave Smith told me that what they discovered, that even though you know they took the best of care in, in those, those showcases, just the uh, light, uh, the heat, you know, uh, starts to affect the fabric. You know, it, it will just start to fall apart, just like things in my closet do. So, so you have to cha- change those out. But, but again, another good reason uh, for when you're in the parks, and don't live your life through your camera lens, but, uh, you know, take some photos, document uh, some things, because uh, uh, don't be as foolish as I am and figure, oh, well, it'll always be there, because it, it's not going to be. And, and, you know, you pay attention, because here, here's a question for you. In the Mary Poppins audio animatronic scene, not counting Dick Van Dyke, how many chimney sweeps are in there? Now think of how many times you went through that scene, how many times you saw those chimney sweeps going back and forth, right and left. How many are in there? My, uh, this is a total just gut response. Seven. No. Six. No. Oh, it's 117. <laughs> no, you were getting warmer. There's actually five. I knew it was five. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I certainly didn't. I, I went in specifically to take a look and see, okay, well, what else is, is in this scene? Is the uh, um, carpet bag a different color or, or something like that? And, and that's what stuck out at me. And I thought, how many times have I gone through this ride? And, and yet, if, if, if pirates were torturing me, if pirates were torturing me and said, how many, would I be able to come up with that? I wouldn't have. I, I would have guessed six. I actually would have guessed six. But I guess it's six counting uh, Dick Van Dyke there. And the one you missed, which is seven. So that's how you get the seven. But, you know, I want to quickly go back to the, to the dresses, um, the Mary Poppins dresses, because one thing I, I was really happy to see was during the D23 Expo this past summer mm-hmm. out in Anah- Anaheim, D23, the Treasures of the Archives exhibit, had an entire room devoted to Mary Poppins and had a lot of those dresses out there. So I, I was much happier to see the uh, Mary Poppins dresses than I was the Teen Beach movie costumes. I think it was a little bit more uh, film history, and that was the one thing that I sort of had that uh, emotional attachment to. I think a lot of people were sort of spending more of their, of their time, so it was nice to see them bring those back out there. So, so you'd like to see women in a Mary Poppins uh, costume from, from neck to toe <laughs> rather than the Teen Beach uh, 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 costumes. And Teen Beach, I thought Teen Beach movie was pretty cool. My kids love it. But you know, look, Mary Poppins is Mary Poppins. And, and I say this all the time, this is not meant to name drop, but in, in, of all the amazing people that, that I've met and had a chance to talk to, present company included, mm-hmm. still for me, Jim, the, the greatest personal thrill of doing this show was when I had a chance to interview Julie Andrews. I'll link to it up in the show notes. It was years ago. And, you know, I thought I had 10 minutes. We talked for 45. And at the end, she's like, ooh, no. Like, she was so... I was like, oh, my God, I just talked to Mary Poppins. It was, like, the coolest thing ever because I was talking to somebody who, you know, had such an impact on my childhood and my kids' childhood. Oh, it's a jolly (laughs) podcast with Lou. That's the worst impression ever. I thought his English accent was bad. Oh, my God. Sorry, let's talk. Listen, we're talking costumes. We're talking Bert. We're talking things that are no longer here. 
I know you're going to shed a silent tear for the loss of Sid Kuangas in terms of right. the merchandise shop. But for years, you know, I think the one thing that everybody talked about was Burt's jacket. And I use air quotes, not that you can see it, because it was one of 10 or 12 jackets that were there. It's now currently a My Magic Plus sort of information station, and they've moved some of the uh, artifacts to the AFI shop in the back. But my understanding was right before the shop closed, they sold that jacket that was there as long as I could remember, and the price, which may have been negotiable, was 65000 plus. Wow. <laughs> That's all I can say is, is uh, wow. I had also heard... That's a that lot of churros right there. It, it, it certainly is. I had also heard that it had been um, uh, sold shortly before uh, Sid Cuenga's closed, although I don't have any uh, confirmation in that. But, yes, I, I, I saw it all the time. I always figured it was just one of those show pieces you wanted to, to have in there. And, and, again, whenever I take a look at any of these costumes, the first thought that comes to my mind is... These people are so small. How did they get into that? How did Guy Williams get into that Zorro costume? It's it, it's petite. How did he do such amazing stunts with such little feet? <laughs> of course, referencing one of your favorite films, which is... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, right, Blazing Saddles with Hedley Lamar. That's Hedley. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, and, and, and of course, one other uh, uh, Poppins reference that is here uh, in the parks is I also went back in and, and saw um, uh, One Man's Dream. I just love going around and, and, and looking around uh, in there. And so, again, saw the, the movie again, and they do a sizable section, a sizable clip from uh, uh, Mary Poppins. So there, there's a lot of little uh, Poppins magic uh, out here uh, at uh, Disney Hollywood Studios, there used to be a little bit more, but um, it is what it is. I'm thankful for what we have. And the film sort of credits it, credits the film, credits Mary Poppins as being, you know, what I think they call it a, a very important milestone in, in Disney history, which I think it is. It's because it, it sort of transcends just the movies themselves, because what you know, the success of that film meant to other divisions. Well, it, it, it opened up so many possibilities, just like. Uh, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs opened up the possibility for more uh, feature-length animated films. It also supplied the money so that uh, uh, Walt could uh, build the studio in Burbank, you know, move from Hyperion to, you know, that uh, uh, wonderfully designed uh, uh, studio there. Mary Poppins, uh, the same way. Mary Poppins actually uh, created the manufacturing division of um, Imagineering. It was called MAPO, M-A-P-O, for Mary Poppins. But instead of going uh, to outside companies for manufacturing and construction, you could keep that in-house. And that came from the, the money in, uh, from Mary Poppins, as did uh, so many other things. I don't think people realize how almost on the verge of financial ruin Walt was continually. <laughs> but then something would come and hit big, and boy, it just, it just opened the, the doors, and Walt always reinvested that back uh, uh, into the, into the uh, uh, company there. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't know, you know, about him going bankrupt. And, and again, like you said, sort of as soon as he had a success, he sort of would mortgage everything for the next thing that was on his plate. Well, and, it, uh, and at the time, again, it was so successful, you just didn't have uh, uh, Tinkerbell uh, flying the castle to the Matterhorn. 
uh, for a brief time, they had Mary Poppins Ooh. doing that at Disneyland wow. uh, out there. So uh, more power to her. That does not seem to be <laughs> uh, something I would like to, to do. Potential Tinkerbells, what they do is they, over here in um, uh, Orlando, is they take them out behind uh, the uh, Magic Kingdom, and they have this, like, 150-foot-high crane, whatever, and they tie the person on and yank them straight up in the air. It sounds like there's a punchline coming after it, no, but no, that's right. No, I would, it, it isn't, other than, other than, you know, God bless you, Tinkerbell. That's, that's all I can say. Well, but let's go, let's go from the studios over to the Magic Kingdom, because I think this is where a lot of people, when you think Mary Poppins, your first impression is mm. Town Square, Main Street, USA, Victorian era. This is where she she very much uh, fits in. But she's also been in uh, some of the parades as well too. Celebrate Dream Come True, Spectral Magic, Rest in Peace. Uh, she was on there as well too. I also remember, I think, and I'm sure you do too. Many, many, many moons ago, early '70s, back at the old uh, Fantasy Fair stage in Fantasyland, they used to have the Pearly Band. They were also sometimes in Town Square too, but the old Pearly Band. From the cartoon section. Ab- yes, absolutely. No, I remember the old Fantasy Fair uh, uh, stage back there when I when I was a friend of uh, Merlin the Magician. Uh, Is that how you doing, Dick Van Dyke? Oh, no, that's right. That was your Every time I do a bad uh, accent, it, I'm, I'm doing... I'm, I'm, it's, an, it's an homage to Dick Van Dyke. Um, but, but yes, uh, uh, Merlin's hideout was right around behind uh, the Fantasy Fair... Uh, uh, stage there, and and yes, so Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins was in the Easter parades too, dancing down uh, uh, Main Street. You know, it, it it's just incredible. And then of course uh, um, that uh, wonderful uh, uh, parade that uh, Kevin Kidney did at, at Disneyland, and so they're riding on the uh, uh, carousel horses, you know, da- down the street, which I thought was was, was very clever. So uh, she's certainly been a very visible. Uh, icon in the parks, but yes, you would think that. Well, Magic Kingdom, there there should be something more than just a a, a, a meet and greet or wave to her in in the parade to to see her. And there almost was nice segue, Jim Corcus. You know, the the, the Magic Kingdom that always was. Uh, people might be shocked and amazed that. Um, there were plans for a Magic Kingdom attraction that would have taken the place of Peter Pan's flight, of all things. Uh, you know, I guess, again, the thinking was the East Coasters might not want the same things being duplicated from, from Disneyland. Uh, obviously, good move keeping Peter Pan's flight here. Uh, this was planned for when the park opened, this sort of idea of a, of a jolly holiday type attraction. And is it true? Like, it's supposedly Roy Disney is the one who sort of put the kibosh on this. Uh, yes, absolutely. It, uh, again, the Imagineers knew how to do a Disneyland. They wanted to do something new and different out here on, on the East Coast. So, uh, again, instead of Pirates of the Caribbean, you're going to do, uh, you know, uh, th- uh, Thunder Thunder Mesa and the, um, the, the river ride there. You were, you know, and, and so they had different rides uh, uh, for Fantasyland. But Roy apparently stepped in and said uh, no. He believed that uh, East Coast guests, because only 1% of Disneyland's attendance was coming from east of the, you know, the Rocky Mountains there, that they had heard so much about this, seen so many pictures, they would be disappointed if they didn't get some of the familiar attraction. Sure, there, there could be... Uh, 
new ones like Western River Expedition and the and Mickey Mouse Review and all of that. But yeah, some of the traditional ones needed to be there. Now, R- Roy got has gotten bad publicity and said, well, he did that because he was trying to, to save money and all that. Well, actually, the Fantasyland rides cost almost as much or more than a brand new ride from scratch because, uh, for instance, they extended the track of, of uh, Peter Pan. Uh, for Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Dick Nunes actually wanted two separate Mr. Toad attractions because they were so popular over in California. It was uh, Roly Crump who came up with the idea of it. Instead of having two separate, we'll just have two separate tracks and they continually uh, uh, intersect. Uh, And uh, I talked with uh, uh, Tony Baxter just uh, a year or two ago and and he confirmed. He said, no, no, the, the decision to go with the traditional rides was not to save money, but because Roy really did feel he didn't want to cheat East Coast visitors. But um, now the Jolly Holiday ride that was going to be in the place of Peter Pan, uh, I, I think there were two different versions they were playing around with, right? Right. So my understanding is that there was a lot of concepts, one of which was supposedly Tony Baxter's. Uh, one of them had the carousel horses riding through the chalk drawings uh, a la the, the uh, you know, from the movie. Another one was more of a... Um, uh, a flying umbrella over the rooftop of London type of track. Yes, uh, using using more or less the same technology and concept of the Peter Pan ride. Now, I, I've I've seen two different versions of that. One is where the uh, umbrella is un, uh, is inverted, so you're sitting in that, and another where it's a hanging umbrella, but the hanging umbrella is on some type of, of ride vehicle, so you're caught on the the edge of Mary Poppins' umbrella and you're flying over the uh, uh, rooftops of uh, London. And, and you know, uh, Tony Baxter, Baxter's uh, audition piece uh, to become a, an Imagineer was a Mary Poppins ride. He, he, he came up with this sort of little game that could be uh, transformed into a ride and that was his audition piece that uh, got him his job as an Imagineer. Yeah, and I would listen. I, I, I hear legendary stories about Tony Baxter's house and the mock-ups and the models that he's made. And I have some friends who have visited. I'd love to see sort of what his first incarnation of, uh, of his idea of what a Mary Poppins attraction would be. And, I, and we're going to talk more about that because let's sort of jump over to uh, to Epcot again. You can meet Mary Poppins over appropriately enough uh, out, outside by the United Kingdom. I believe she's still part of. Does she still do the storybook dining over in? Akershus, I I believe so, but I think Jim. When people talk about the Mary Poppins attraction, they think about the Magic Kingdom version, but they don't also know that there was an unbuilt ride concept for the UK as well. Yes, and uh, uh, before I let you uh, uh, share that, because I know people are are sitting on uh, tenter hooks at at home or or at this time of year, maybe on uh, uh, sugar plums and and uh, something like that. Uh, before we get too carried away, because constantly when we're, we're talking, we just bounce off of each other and, oh, yes, and this, and oh, yes, and that, and all of that. Uh, in the back, where the uh, gazebo is and, and where that little uh, sort of maze area is, if you take a look at those buildings, that is Cherry Tree Lane. Uh, the Imagineers um, 
uh, were looking at uh, the blueprints for Mary Poppins because so much research was done in order to make that that accurate and so that that row of uh, houses there is actually uh, uh, Cherry Tree Lane where uh, Mary Poppins would uh, come to visit and of course once it was done uh, Marty Scalar who's the big Imagineering head honcho was out there and he says well that's wrong and they're all looking and they're, they're going you know we followed the dimensions we followed the blueprint what could pop-? and he goes uh, there's no soot on the chimneys. If somebody was living in the house, there'd be soot. So immediately, Imagineering put some soot on the chimneys so that to the casual passerby, you look and, and everything seems right. You know, so it goes with that. But tell us a little bit more about this Epcot attraction, Lou. Well, I, and I want to sort of preface it by, you know, when we talk about Epcot and when it first opened, the the I guess the complaint was that Epcot wasn't kid-friendly, right? There was no no rides for kids. There was nothing for kids. But there were a lot of concepts on the tables that never made it in. There was a uh, an Alice in Wonderland attraction. A Pinocchio Village was going to be in Italy, which I would have loved to have seen. And there was going to be a Mary Poppins uh, attraction in the back of that area. Again, sort of where... Uh, the gardens are mm-hmm. uh, with, a, with a band's in and that would have sort of been the, the beginning of the queue that would have taken you to Cherry Tree Lane past Admiral Boom's house uh, he and uh, Mr. Binnacle will be up there firing off the cannons and talking down to guests in, in audio animatronic form uh, you'd hear uh, Mr. and Mrs. Brill yelling at each other uh, on uh, 17 Cherry Tree Lane and as you walk through they would have these chalk drawings on the floor you'd continue on and there'd be some on the wall and you'd be able to walk through uh, the center, you know, chalk drawing of this English countryside. And once you would have been in this room, you would have had projections on the walls of flowers turning into butterflies. You'd walk over this bridge, over a little stream, into a loading room that would have a carousel of horses that you would board or a bench. So if you were unable, for, you know, for mobility issues or you just want, didn't want to ride a carousel horse, you could hop on the bench. And then the wall opens up and... These, uh, these these horses and the benches leave the carousel because Bert and uh, Mary Poppins are there and they're talking to you and they're inviting you to, you know, Mary Poppins says, oh, who says we're not going anywhere? And you come off the carousel and go in. The wall opens, you go to the fox hunt and the horse race and supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Uh, Mary, Bert, Jane, and Michael are in there. And then the end of the attraction, which I would love to have seen, is, you know, the rain would sort of wash the chalk away and you'd end up back in England for that Mary Poppins meet and greet. You know, we could do two or three shows just on attractions that were never built for Epcot. Yeah. Just Epcot. All, all of those uh, plans there. Uh, yes, there, there was a great debate at the time of how much Disney should be in there and, and how uh, authentic... Uh, should you be uh, to the host country? Uh, it, that came up again um, uh, several years later a, uh, after the building of the Morocco Pavilion. Uh, one of the things uh, that uh, uh, Epcot management wanted, and in fact the uh, Morocco uh, uh, management wanted, was a meet and greet area for uh, Aladdin and Jasmine. And uh, there were some Imagineers who just dug their feet into the ground and said, absolutely not. Agrabar is an imaginary place. Morocco is a real place. You cannot combine the two of them together. You know, but again, this was something that guests wanted. This was something that the management wanted. They, 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 they could see that this was a guest satisfier and all that. And so Imagineering eventually came up with a, um, 
a what they considered a compromise is they created a uh, rock that had the magic carpet on top of it. And so, yes, Jasmine and uh, Aladdin could stand in front of that. And that would be the, uh, you know, the one piece of Agrabar that seems to have magically detached and floated uh, to this. Well, of course, they don't worry about such things now. You, you go they just to, flew in from Agrabar. And, <laughs> and boy, are their arms tired. But, um, yeah, so, so now they have them. And they tried to hide them in the back by the... Uh, the restaurant, the restaurant, by the way, is just magnificent. But because it's back there, it, it doesn't really come to people's minds. Or I think some people worry about: is, is this going to be too spicy or scary? Is this it's right, scary. exotic. Yeah, and 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 it's not. I, I I've I've eaten there, and believe me, I'm a I'm a very meat and potatoes simple kind of guy. But you also like belly dancers at your table too, so it's a, it's a good compromise for you as well. <laughs> well, and, and, and then you go, should I be looking at the belly dancer? Should I not be? And the belly dancer is dragging me up to humiliate me in front of all <laughs> these... Oh, you and I have to go then. If you, then we, have to, we have to dine there one night. <laughs> well, as I said, I've, I've still got my belly. Your, yours disappeared with all these egg whites and, and granola and, and whatever else it, it, it is... Uh, uh, you're eating there, but uh, but yes, uh, you know in uh, Epcot, there 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 was always that. What is Epcot? You know, and what do we want? You know, for a while there, it was marketed as the Discovery Park, but it, but in terms of of the Mary Poppins a- a- attraction, the the big debate really was, well, is this a- a- appropriate? Are we Disneyfying? You know, the UK. We want to be we true to their their heritage and. Uh, all of that, but anybody who's been to Epcot now know that a lot of changes have have gone on, including the costumes for the American Adventure. All right. All right. And, and obviously, we see the characters there now. We, we've heard the stories about Michael Eisner coming in and saying, you know, where is Mickey Mouse? Why, you know, and they want sort of that differentiator that they wanted. Obviously, something like you said that guests really wanted. We see a lot of characters now throughout uh, the pavilions. And look, I, you know, you wonder what could have been. And I know we've both sort mm-hmm. of given talks and presentations on. You know, the, uh, the world showcase that almost was in the, the terms of the attractions that were there, what they would bring in terms of, of thrills and, and characters and, and some of the films. Um, so before we move on, so let me ask you, you know, we, we talk about the, the attraction that almost was in Magic Kingdom, the action, attraction that almost was in Epcot. Um, can there still ever be a Mary Poppins attraction? Is a, is a Mary Poppins attraction still relevant and timely simply because of what that film means and it still is I think new to you know look I know my kids you know they love that film they love the music from it um I think so but I don't think Mary Poppins is as popular as it as it was when when we were when we were tykes uh, uh dreaming of sugar plums in our heads here um and you know, it, it, it's all, you know, what's, what's coming next and what, what's coming right now. I, I think the Disney company could really uh, push a, a, a Mary Poppins, you know, uh, not, uh, especially during this 50th anniversary and, uh, you know, uh, maybe with uh, some uh, additional things, maybe even an animated uh, TV series or whatever. And, and I think that would get people uh, pumped. But for right now, I, th- I think... It, it's uh, for young kids. 
your kids, uh, of course, being the exception because they're taking over the uh, Mangello uh, media empire. I'm raising a couple of freaks. Like, listen, you're, listen, kids, we're watching Mary Poppins. But I think the film, I, you know, I think Mary Poppins is one of those unique films that does not and could not and should never have a sequel or anything to follow it because I think it just, I think, it, and maybe it's the, the romantic sentimentalist in me, I think the film still stands on its own. I think the music still stands on its own. And I think if, it, if it's done right, which of course, you know, we assume it would be, I think you could introduce a Mary Poppins attraction now um, and still have it be popular. Same way you have a Peter Pan attraction that's popular and Alice in Wonderland and Disneyland and, and you know, Pinocchio's Daring Journey these films that have been around for, for decades um, that still resonate. Look, Mary Poppins and Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland are always going to resonate more than something like, and this is not to take anything away from these films, because I like them too, than a, a Cars will, right? Or even a, a Frozen will, you know, films that I, that I really enjoy. Um, so I, my question, actually, I want to throw out to the listeners, you know, can a Mary Poppins attraction be built? Right? Let's take the financial aspects out of it, you know, sort of justifying it to those who, who would have to sort of write the checks. Can and could a Mary Poppins attraction be built? Where should it go? And, you know, you can play Imagineer for the day. You have carte blanche. Listen, you have Jim Corkus' checkbook, right? With <laughs> however kind of attraction you want. What and where could a Mary Poppins attraction be? And if you don't think it could go, go anywhere, that's fine too. You can email me. We're actually better yet. Go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Radio. Leave your comments there. Come to the show notes page over at www.radio.com. Or you can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 and share your thoughts um, or rants or or your passionate plea for a Mary Poppins attraction. But Jim Corkus, we're not done yet. No, well, let, let, let's talk a little bit more about this. You know, again, I would agree with you that I feel the film is complete. There's a beginning, middle, and an end. There's a... There's a good conclusion, you know, uh, to do a sequel, what do you do? Do you break up the Banks family again, you know, for Mary Poppins to come back? But um, P.L. Travers wrote a lot of different uh, uh, stories. And, in fact, one of the ideas that was uh, uh, considered, uh, and the Sherman Brothers wrote some songs for this, and uh, Disney considered it for a sequel they were going to make to Mary Poppins in 87, is that Mary Poppins had a uh, magic compass and would go to different parts you know, uh, uh, of the world. And so maybe a, an attraction uh, based on that uh, it could be that. And, and in fact, if any of you guys want to bone up on your um, uh, history, uh, go pick up a copy of Vault of Walt uh, uh, Volume 2 because there's a whole chapter devoted to uh, the uh, history of the creation of Mary Poppins and uh, some attempts that Disney tried to do afterwards, which in, included having uh, Michael Jackson as, as a chimney, uh, actually as an ice cream seller, helping out uh, Mary Poppins uh, doing this. It's, and, like a, it's like a Mary Poppins version of The Wiz. And, <laughs> and, and again, if you're going to do a Mary Poppins, who do you have do Mary Poppins now? You know, um, uh, Carrie Underwood's doing a version of... Uh, uh, Sound of Music and Julie Andrews sent her a wonderful, wonderful letter of uh, support, but she she's getting uh, tons of hate mail from people. Of, Do you think you're better than Julie Andrews? And only Julie Andrews can play, you know, uh, Maria in The Sound of Music. If and, you say Miley Cyrus, this conversation and our friendship is over, just so you know. <laughs> 
Oh, Miley Cyrus is, is, is a whole Where nother. Where things go so wrong? Anyway, is, is a whole nother topic of conversation. Actually, that that, that could be a whole podcast about um, uh, uh, Disney uh, female performers uh, gone wrong. You know, taking the wrong path. And and why can't they all be like Kurt Russell? <laughs> and 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 of course, what what happens, uh, of course, is. That's why you have to be careful. You have to be careful when you use live-action performers, uh, even in an, in an attraction, because they're they're t- nowadays especially they're one tweet away from going south. You know, uh, for that. So I would be on board for a Mary Poppins ride if it were a ride the entire family could enjoy. I I am up to here with all these. Uh, motion control simulator rides and and uh, arms that'll toss you sideways and and uh, things like this. I, I will tell you that the most exciting thing I find about Avatar Land is there's going to be like a jungle cruise boat ride where everybody can be on that. You you can see the things happening on shore with the technology technology that exists today. You know you you can uh, you can do all of that. It's just wonderful. Well, I think that's why Peter Pan's flight still has, you know, such long waits because it is that simple, classic, dark ride that just the way Walt wanted everybody in the family could enjoy. Like, it's the music and the characters and the imagery that we all remember. And I think, I think, I don't, I guess I'm making my impassioned plea for a, a Mary Poppins attraction that'll never happen. But uh, I, I still think it could. Listen, remember, you know, it, it's run on Broadway was, you know, incredibly popular. So there's still a love for that film and, and the stories. You you could absolutely be, be right. I, do, I don't see that as, as the hot subject today so that if I was in control of Disney money, it's like, but again, I, I wouldn't be using that money to make a Lone Ranger ride. I would be making that money to to do a a bunch of other different things based on some recent uh, Disney franchises. And you can hear in the background how excited people are about (laughs) this. See, that kid heard me say Mary Poppins. He was screaming with joy. So, all right, let's, um, because I I sort of call the segment Poppins in the Parks, and, and that's a bit of a misnomer, because obviously Mary Poppins, the film and the characters can be found outside the parks, too, at one of my favorite and I think still one of the most beautiful resorts on property. So you're talking about Animal Kingdom Lodge and Mary Mary Poppins being eaten by a giraffe. Is that it as she flies by? Is that what? No, I I think you're talking about... um, I've only seen part of this. I've seen the uh, uh, Grand Floridian Resort, but I haven't seen the extension which uh, I've only seen uh, pictures, but but you've been there in person to see this, right? So I have. So uh, at Disney's Grand Florida Resort, the new Disney Vacation Club section really sort of embraces this Victorian-era feel that the entire resort has. And Mary Poppins is such a natural fit. There's so many beautiful elements of both Mary Poppins, actually, and Dumbo, and some other films as well throughout the lobby, throughout the rooms as well. So in the lobby, you're first hit with this beautiful bronze fountain with the tuxedo penguins, and it's very playful and it's very whimsical, but it still retains that sense of elegance. There's some miniature carousel horses in there as well, too. If you look very carefully at the elevators, the umbrella actually acts as the floor indicator. So it's a very small, subtle detail, but when you find it, it's one of those nice touches, and in the rooms, and again, it varies depending whether if you're a studio or a one-bedroom uh, villa, uh, you'll find everything from artwork on the walls to silhouette cutouts 
There's some uh, very Victorian-themed songbooks for Mary Poppins as well. It's Happiest Millionaire, too, is in there as well. Uh, in the one-bedroom villas, uh, they actually have a, a pull-out Murphy bed, and when you pull the bed down, some have Dumbo and other ones have uh, these, this beautiful artwork and the lyrics appropriately left to stay awake. Oh, that's wonderful. You, you know, and, and, and again, you know, that's one of the things that's that Disney difference is that attention to detail. And when Disney does it right, nobody can can touch them when it when it uh, uh, it comes to that. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing the, the waiters in the in the fountain there. I, I, again, I, I love those uh, uh, little characters uh, there. They pop up in. Uh, in Roger Rabbit, because uh, uh, Zemeckis loved those characters as well too, and even though he had set a uh, uh, a timeline and said no characters after 1940 something, uh, the way he justified that is well, they're actual waiters. They're actual waiters in the Ink and Paint Club. They're just waiting to be discovered uh, uh, for for this to to happen. You know, and I was just listening. Um, to some um, uh, commentary on uh, uh, a decade ago. It's still available on Amazon, and Lou and I don't get any money from this, but there's a a two-disc Mary Poppins CD, and, of course, they have 41 minutes of the um, P.L. Travers conversations with the Sherman Brothers and Don DeGrady. This is for less than 10 bucks. so if you're looking for a stocking stuffer... I'll put a link to it in the show notes, because now I have to buy it for myself. And and, and they also have a 1964 interview with Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke and and the Sherman Brothers, and then they also have a Sherman Brothers interview from... um, um, uh, the 80s over at uh, Richard Sherman's house. But um, Randy Thornton, who's, who's really a hidden Disney treasure, he's, he's restored and saved so much of this information, he ran across uh, the original recordings. So, of course, these are the studio recordings. In the past, a lot of these just got tossed away, just like they would toss away cells because, you know, we already have the movie. We already have the record. Why do we need to have, you know, the original recordings? But in the original recordings, one of the things the Sherman Brothers had planned was a battle of the bands between the Penguins and the Pearly Band. It's awesome. It's it's wonderful. And... um, Actually, what's really neat is, uh, of course, there's like seven or eight hours or more of, of P.L. Travers speaking. They, they pick the 41 that are, that are Disney appropriate. <laughs> uh, and if you listen carefully enough, uh, when uh, uh, Richard is singing Feed the Birds, if you listen closely enough or your system is much better than mine so you don't have to press your ear against it, you can hear P.L. Travers softly singing along in the back, even though she hated all of those songs. But anyway, yeah, so yeah, wonderful stocking uh, uh, stuffer there. And, uh, you know, uh, Randy Thornton really had to, to fight because, again, people said, who would ever want this? It's a, t- a two-disc set, less than 10, 10 bucks, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, the, the, the first is like the complete soundtrack, including a lot of the music that didn't make it into um, 
the actual movie. And then, as I said, the second disc has the P.L. Travers things, which uh, 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 Thornton said that when uh, Richard Sherman brought him the tapes, it said the Poppins Trials on it, <laughs> on it for, for, for that uh, to happen. So, so Disney has wonderful things hiding in their little uh, archives there, just waiting uh, uh, to be uh, discovered. But yeah, the, the Penguins have always been a, a favorite of mine. You know, and a lot of people know that Frank Thomas, of course, was the animator on the Penguins. Um, a lot of people don't realize that it was Ward Kimball who d- did a lot of work on the Pearly Band. In fact, I was looking through a, a uh, Ward interview, and he said he didn't even know what a Pearly Band was. <laughs> he had to go look it up uh, in, in order to do it. But my gosh, those rooms at the uh, Grand Floridian uh, Vacation Club section sound just terrific. And, and, of, and of course, you've had Mary Poppins over at the Grand Floridian there, uh, you know, for the meet and greet and the Poppins tea. for right. And the supercalifragilistic breakfast at 1900 uh, Park Fair, which is really, really nice. Uh, that's, I think, one of the sort of overlooked character breakfast experiences. Uh, and again, things like you said, like the teas there are nice. Really... Um, one of my favorite places. What I like about the rooms, Jim, is mm-hmm. they're not Mary Poppins rooms, right? Like you go to, to some of the resorts, there's like the Nemo-themed rooms and there's the, the Little Mermaid rooms. They're, they're the small, subtle touches that when you find them, you kind of smile because you, you pull down the Murphy bed not expecting to see it and it's just there. And it's sort of one of the things that, you know, you'll enjoy or your kids will enjoy uh, as you spot them on the walls or, or throughout the resort. Well, see, but I'd like it to be more of a Mary Poppins room so that when I pull down the bed, there's Mary Poppins there already. I don't want the bird lady. I, I, I guess I'd have to upgrade to get the Mary Poppins room. But get get the Mary Poppins. Because, again, Mary Poppins, even though she's so proper, I think there's that little hint of naughtiness uh, in there that, that you can see. You, you know that P.L. Travers, one of the things that she disliked was uh, the dance scene on top of the uh, rooftops for Chim Chim because she said uh, uh, she felt that what what it was doing was it was uh, showing uh, Mary Poppins' uh, underwear. And, and, and I took a look at the film, and no, you see the very, very bottom of the knickers around the, the knee, the, not the knees, uh, the ankles, and uh, uh, Travers insisted and, and, and said, no, you know, what, what should happen is that her clothes just of their own accord, would stay just right around her ankles and not if she was going to do this can-can. I'm just so excited to see this movie saving uh, Mr. Banks. And I want people to remember, too, that even though people complain so much about Tom Hanks uh, doing uh, Walt Disney, and, and I just saw an interview with, with Hanks where he said, you know, uh, his mustache was the topic of memos and, and because again his face is different than Walt so how wide should the mustache be you know uh, all of this and apparently his wife hated it um, nobody is complaining that uh, Emma Thompson is doing P.L. Travers and if you saw some of the uh, film of Travers at that particular time in her life and all of that you know I'm, I'm sure that Thompson, being an outstanding actress, captures the spirit. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that that's what's happening with Hanks, too, is he's cap- capturing the spirit uh, of Walt, although he's not going to be a, a, a doppelganger for that. Uh, Thompson, in an interview, said she's just thankful that there's roles for middle-aged women now. <laughs> well, I, I, I've spoken to people 
uh, who are intimately familiar with the film, who've worked on the film, who've consulted on the film, and they, who knew Walt. And when I hear them saying and praising Tom Hanks for his performance, look, we never met Walt, right? So we can't compare. We only see the, the videos that, that are out there. When somebody praises him and says that it, it's so well done and he's got it and he works so hard at it, then, then that's, uh, I think, the best endorsement. But Jim Corcus, yeah. there is one other Mary Poppins reference outside the parks that you may not have considered. You're you're absolutely right. I may not have c- <laughs> considered this. You 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 Christmas elf. You Christmas elf with this Christmas secret. Please share it with See, all of you us. You give me that the five uh, chimney sweep question. There is one other location in downtown Disney. One other location in downtown Disney. Oh my gosh! And and I was just down in downtown Disney a couple of weeks ago with 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 some. Uh, uh, friends. Oh, my gosh. I Listen, I say all the time, Jim, don't just necessarily look around, but look up. That's why you're my mentor. That's why I look up to you, to you Lou. Well, you I, only look up to me when I'm standing on a chair. No, you need to look up because she's one of the characters on Characters in Flight. How cool is that? How cool is that? And, 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 of course, it's one of those dope questions that as, as soon as you mention it, your mind goes, well, of course. Well, of course. I've, I've seen that. How, how could I not? I wonder if there's any, uh, any of the listeners to this podcast who know of any other. Saying, I'm sure they're y'all. How did you guys forget the most obvious one, which is, was probably right in front of our faces and we never thought about it? And that's why I want to hear from them again on the sh- in the show notes via Twitter. I'm at Lou Mangiello on the Facebook page, wherever it may be, or call the voicemail. Uh, let us know. You know, your, your thoughts about Poppins in the Parks or any that we missed? Do you want to see more Poppins? Less Poppins? Pop, a Poppins attraction? Maybe, maybe there should be more teas with Mary Poppins. Uh, should there be something special just for... Uh, because, again, it's uh, 2014 is the 50th anniversary. And, again, Mary Poppins uh, premiered in uh, August of 64. And uh, Lou and I both discovered by taking a look at the uh, tickets out there in front that it's Thursday. So... Uh, if you were in charge of the Disney company, what would you do to celebrate Poppins? Should there be a, a, a traveling I- I exhibit? Should there um, uh, should there be a, a showing of a theatrical showing of Mary Poppins, which is a, uh, a, a sing along? So you all open umbrellas in the theater, creating bad luck, and as you sing along, take that D twenty three exhibit, the treasures of the archives. Take that archives exhibit and bring it. You know, take half of it and put it in Disneyland. Half of it and bring it here to the studios. You know, it's just, or, or, my gosh, uh, Randy Thornton has access to this stuff. Release, maybe even on the D twenty three website, um, uh, some of these uh, thing. Erwin uh, Costell, who did the uh, score for Mary Poppins, on the soundtrack that Randy Thornton uncovered, he actually plays "Spoonful of Sugar." with spoons on his oh, knees cool. plays the the entire song so there's all sorts of other hidden treasures in the uh, uh, archives just waiting to you know pop out as as, as we say and uh, as I pointed out uh, there is a Mary Poppins uh, chapter in my in my new book uh, vault of Walt uh, uh, volume two. Uh, you can go to uh, also a great stocking stuffer, by the way. Yes, a wonderful stocking stuffer. 
Uh, and you can uh, uh, find that at uh, themeparkpress.com or amazon.com. And, of course, a surprise book that took Lou completely by surprise and the rest of the Disney history community. Uh, for Mickey's 85th birthday, I wrote The Book of Mouse which is over 300 pages. It has a complete annotated filmography of, of uh, Mickey Mouse. It has an entire section about uh, Mickey Mouse in the parks, including biographies of the first people who were, were friends of Mickey Mouse and uh, history behind uh, Mickey Mouse uh, uh, balloons, and I know even more about Mickey Mouse balloons right now because I just did a, uh, an, an interview with Treb Henning who uh, created those glasshouse Mickey balloons and the light-up Mickey balloons. And uh, he started as a balloon seller at Disneyland when he was 15 years old in 1969. Wow. And the only reason he could do that is because Disney only hired if you were 18 but uh, outside uh, what they called lessees or participants uh, could hire at 16. So when he was 15 and a half, he showed up to apply, and they were short a kid that day. And so he's out there and uh, learned how to – you create an umbrella with the balloons. And when uh, the balloons cost uh, 35 cents each, and he said there were guests who were yelling at him that – we can buy an entire bag of balloons for 35 cents. You should be giving those to those kids for free. But he also told me that if uh, helium went out of an ear uh, or, or uh, out of the balloon itself, you took it back, and what you did is you put it in a clothes dryer, and it shrunk the balloon so you could blow it up again the next day. They were called reblows. And I, I had never heard of that before in my entire life. Um, and uh, Treb is the one who crea- is the one who invented uh, balloon archways. Hmm. All of that, king, king of balloons. So that'll be in the next Mickey Mouse book. So get the the, the book of Mouse and get Vault of Walt uh, Volume Two. And of course, there's other books uh, too. There's the revised Vault of Walt and uh, Who's Afraid of the Song of the South. And uh, this is how I'm making my living now. And I will put links. I'll put Amazon links to all those books uh, in the show notes for this week's show. Jim, I love doing this. I love being able to chat about you know the history and the details. Yeah. And and I think. You know, hopefully enhancing people's experiences in the parks, right? Next time they come, maybe they'll look to see where they can find Mary Poppins. They'll look for some of those details from some of their favorite films. And we could do this again about some of the other films that are referenced uh, throughout the park, some of the classics and maybe some of the new ones too. Well, I think uh, I agree with you. It's, it's important for people to look, to know what they're, they're looking at. You know? There's so many Herbie Goes Bananas <laughs> references that you just can't do them all in one show. Can you name one? I can name one. <laughs> uh, so the backlot tour—that's not from Herbie Goes Bananas, is it? Nope. Okay, and 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 those of you out there who are scratching your head, and and it's so difficult to fast forward <laughs> on a podcast, isn't it? Okay. Well, by the backlot tour, you know they have the mermaid statue on uh, those yeah. dolphins. Yeah. It was actually created as an ice sculpture. The mold was created as an ice sculpture for Herbie Goes Bananas, and then they reused it in Splash. They used fiberglass to make it look like rock and look at brass, but it was... At, what see, are the odds? This is why... <laughs> what are the we odds? didn't plan that. This is why I love Jim Corcus. <laughs> this is why I'm going to go buy his books. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. I lucky I didn't say Condor, man. Then you might have had a little tougher time. Jim Corcus, this is, uh, this is always a lot of fun. I cannot wait. Uh, you should come and see Saving Mr. Banks with us when we see mm-hmm. it um, on opening weekend. And, again, we have lots, lots more to talk about. And, uh, and congratulations again 
on uh, on the on the two new books this year. I, uh, thank you so much. You know, it, it it is an awful lot of work, but it it's so rewarding when people come up and and tell you how much they enjoy your Bert, how much they enjoy your Bert accent. They they like <laughs> they love your books are okay, but your Bert impression, wow, that's that's gold right there. That's podcast gold. Well, I I, I think maybe uh, uh, listeners should take one of those Mary Poppins songs and and write it so it's Lou centric, <laughs> Lou centric oh, there, and and then they could sing that, you know, oh, sing you. it to you and. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, just absolutely wonderful. I know a lot of people who listen to this, they are very, very uh, involved with uh, Disney. I, I told you before we started recording that uh, one person had come up to me and said, you know, I, I listened to you guys, uh, your broadcast on the uh, uh, Where is the Rocketeer in the parks. He says, I don't know how many times I've eaten at... Um, uh, the sci-fi uh, uh, diner, he says, and I never thought to walk down those aisles and look for Rocketeer stuff, and I love Rocketeer, and it, it's thanks to you and Lou that this information is out there so other people can enjoy it. So all of you out there, you've heard the, the, the wonderful holiday uh, uh, music in, in the background, this, the sound of screaming elves and all of that, uh, the various, the, the, the most happy of holidays to, to all of you. And uh, we hope that next year is even going to be better for all of us. Absolutely. And you're so cute, too. You're like a little elf on the shelf. luck will rub off when I shake hands with you. Or blow me a kiss. And that's lucky, too. Now, as the ladder of life has been strung, you might think a sweet... It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I ask you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history, see how well you pay attention to the details of what you see, and like last week, in what you hear, for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I wanted to mix things up a little bit and test not just what you pay attention to visually, but how well you listen as well, not just in the present, but in the past. All you need to do was identify where in Walt Disney World this clip is, or as you probably know, was from. You also managed to pull off the most spectacular mission this place has ever seen. Congratulations. Thank you, Control. And again, thanks to the hundreds of you who sent this one in, got it correct, and knew that it was from the old Body Wars exhibit at the Wonders of Life Pavilion in Epcot Center. This was a motion simulator ride, just like Star Tours over at Hollywood Studios. It ran from October 1989 until January 1st, 2007. It was actually directed by Leonard Nimoy, Mr. Spock from Star Trek. And just like the old film Fantastic Voyage, it gave you the simulation of being shrunk down to carry out a mission inside the human body. It starred Tim Matheson as Captain Braddock. Elizabeth Shue was Dr. Cynthia Lair. And again, hundreds of you got this one correct, and you were playing for all the audio tours, a luggage tag, button, and a signed copy of my Walt Disney World Trivia Book, Volume 2. And last week's randomly selected winner is Bernie Armellini. So, Bernie, congratulations. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, thanks for playing, but don't worry, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So I thought we would stick with our Mary Poppins theme this week. It's one of my favorite films of all time. And as you heard, maybe back in the intro clips and on my past interviews with Richard Sherman, the Sherman brothers didn't just write the music for the film, but really helped craft the entire story. 
And they didn't just do that there and in other Disney films, but in the parks as well. There were a lot of theme park music for Walt Disney World and Disneyland. So this week, I want you to name for me one Sherman Brothers song that you can find or could have found in each of the Walt Disney World theme parks. So all you need to do is tell me the park, the location or the attraction, past or present, and the song. Now you may be thinking D Disney's Animal Kingdom may be tough, but it is there if you listen very, very closely. So you have until Sunday, December 22nd at 11.59 p.m. to send your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. And because it is the holidays, it's the spirit of giving, I'm going to give you not just all six of my audio tours of the parks, a luggage tag, a button, a signed copy of Walt Disney World Trivia Book Volume 2, but I'm also going to give you a $50 Disney gift card to spend at the Disney Store online or in the parks as well. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. In addition to the podcast, which you can subscribe to over at iTunes, please visit www.radio.com. There we have multiple daily blog posts, new videos, discussion forums, our free email newsletter, and the free WDW Radio app. You can also follow me on Twitter. I am at Lou Mangiello. And come like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash WDW Radio. You know, I love hearing from you, so you can email me with a question you want answered on the show at Lou at WDWRadio.com or call the voicemail. Be heard on the air, 407-900-9391, 407-900-9391 with a question, a comment, or just a hello from the parks. And as much as I love connecting with you online, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. That's why we do so many events in Walt Disney World and throughout the country. Really excited for uh, getting ready to announce what we have planned in Walt Disney World and elsewhere in 2014. But don't forget, speaking of Mr. Banks, our next and final meet of the month for 2013 is going to be this Sunday, December 22nd, in downtown Disney. We're going to have breakfast at the Earl of Sandwich. Uh, going to do a little sort of a holiday gift exchange if you want, and then make our way over for the first showing of Saving Mr. Banks at the AMC Downtown Disney 24. You can find all the details on the events page at wdwradio.com or our Facebook events page as well. You can RSVP there if you'd like to come. Anyone and everyone is invited. You can come by yourself or bring the whole family. It should be a lot of fun, a great way to sort of finish out the year. And again, look forward to uh, a lot of things I'm getting ready to announce for 2014. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. Look, whether you're coming to Disney World, Land, Adventures by Disney, you're coming with us maybe in 2014 on the next cruise on the Disney Dream this summer and our e-ticket event as well, too. Details forthcoming, I promise. Visit mousefantravel.com. You get the best possible prices, all available discounts, most importantly, an incredible level of personal service that Becky and her team of agents give you all at no additional cost to you. They, again, you can find them over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, Please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links and comment over on Facebook. And please come by, rate and review the show and the app over in iTunes. And in this continuing spirit of Thanksgiving and the holidays, I am more than ever so very thankful and grateful to each and every one of you for taking the time to listen and for your support and your friendship. It means the world to me. And I always feel like every day, is Christmas, and I want you to feel that same way as well. 
So life is too short to keep going in the wrong direction. Do what you love with who you love. Start right now because a year from now, you're going to wish you started today. Don't wait. Follow your heart and always have faith and keep moving forward. Thanks so very much, everybody. So until next week, see ya. Lou, uh, great show tonight and after show. <clears throat> this is uh, WDW Techie 91. I just want you to ask the question, what happened to Peter Scolari? Uh, Tom Hanks picked him up on the movie The Polar Express. Uh, Peter was actually a voice, a character voice on one uh, on the movie. So... Uh, you asked that question, I'm trying to answer it. So, have a good night. God bless. Hi, Lou. This is Tony from Illinois, also known as Backside of Water in the Box. And I just got done listening to uh, episode 344, the top 10 things that we're thankful for at Walt Disney World. And I, I held my breath for a little bit because I saw it. This is where Tim was going with it, but but he didn't go with it, so I just got to say it. I am thankful to Sharon and Diane Disney because without them, there would have been no Daddy's Day, so Walt wouldn't have been there watching his daughters ride the carousel eating peanuts. And if that wouldn't have happened, there would have been no Disneyland. No Disneyland means no Disney World. That's what I'm. I'm thankful for uh, Sharon and Diane Disney, and may Diane rest in peace. And I shall see you on the newscast Wednesday. Hey Lou, this is Barry from Knoxville, Tennessee. I wanted to. I just got finished listening to your thankful episode about what we're thankful for for Walt Disney World. I want to leave you a couple of things that I'm thankful for. First of all, I'm thankful for Epcot, and the reason that I'm thankful for Epcot in general is because when I was a kid growing up in Knoxville, Tennessee, in 1982, we had a World's Fair uh, that was also, of course, the year that Epcot opened. I spent the, my entire summer at the World's Fair in Knoxville. I was about 13 or 14 years old. Had the the, the best time of my life that summer. I was uh, I like science. I love art. I love history, culture, all those kind of things were at that World's Fair in my hometown. And uh, when it closed at the end of the year, I, I was uh, very disappointed, and I was um, always wanted to keep that with me for the rest of my life. And then a few years later, the first time I ever went to Disney World, I got to go to Epcot. And that World's Fair that I loved growing up in Knoxville was there in Orlando at Epcot Center. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed, and that is my favorite part to this day, because I love the culture, I love the uh, the uh, different countries, the future, looking into the future, the, the entire World's Fair concept of Epcot has, has stayed with me to this day. So I'm really glad and thankful that Epcot exists in its form because um, it reminds me of my childhood. My second thing that I'm most thank thankful for is the Tomorrowland Transit Authority in the Magic Kingdom. And the reason I'm thankful for that, uh, not only am I thankful for it because of the general uh, quality of the ride and the peaceful tour that it takes you through Tomorrowland, but several years ago uh, I went to the Magic Kingdom with my family and my son, who was about five or six at that time. We rode the TTA uh, together in the evening, getting ready for the fireworks. 
It was a perfect evening. We rode that. We had been on a hard day with everybody else in the family going and touring the park. He and I spent some very, very quality time um, just wandering through Tomorrowland and rode that TTA probably three or four times together and had just probably that was my best memory of experience of being with him in the park. So I'm very thankful for the TTA and the quality time it gave me with my son and the great memory with the Magic Kingdom. Thank you, Lou. I enjoy your show, and I uh, hope to speak with you later. Bye-bye. You go.